we are talking today as we talk about flipping. It's all about rebelling against the world. Rebelling against the teachings and the thinking of the world and instead following after Jesus Christ by denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Him. Luke 9, 23. Who are we following? Or what are we following? Are we following the foolishness of the world and its belief systems? Or are we following Christ? So often we look at the world and we shake our heads at the complete insanity. I'm not sure if you do that when you watch the news. Like, I can't believe it. But then yet we still follow right along with it. We still follow right along with it. And as a matter of fact, I'll steal a line from Obi-Wan in Star Wars uh, Episode 4. A New Hope, when he's talking to Han Solo, he says these words, Who is more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows him? Who are we? Are we the fool who is following other fools? We have to rebel against the thinking of this world. We have to flip our perspective on what being blessed really means and listen and even more so apply the words of Jesus. And in application, it's key here because I've touched on the why for the Sermon on the Mount and I've touched on the why for the Beatitudes for the last couple of weeks. But let me remind you before we go any further, the aim of the Sermon on the Mount, with the disciples being the primary audience and the crowd getting to listen in, it is this. And that is, Jesus preached the sermon so that people's lives would give glory to God. That is why he preached it. We are looking at it with the goal for each of us that our lives would give glory to God as we live them. Can we say that is the case? And now we're not going to get to this particular verse until September but listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16 as he begins that Sermon on the Mount, the sermon preaching points is he leaves the Beatitudes and kicks it into, he says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. But in verse 16, he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and do what? Give glory to God, the Father in heaven. Give glory. That is what we are here for. That is why we exist, to give God glory. That is our goal. It's all about him it's all about his will being done you ever heard those words your will be done it's in the lord's prayer right you know where the lord's prayer is found smack in the middle of the sermon on the mount we'll be getting to it here shortly as well but here's the words it says our father in heaven is probably different than the way you've heard it your name be honored as holy your name gets the glory your kingdom come your will be done even as it is in heaven. That is our prayer. That is the Sermon on the Mount in a nutshell. That is what we are trying to live out. The Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, it's Jesus prepping us for the kind of living that he's calling us to. It's that upside down, flipped, rebellious, against the world way kind of life. To live for him, and as we've already said, these our steps. It's a progression. It's a progression of what we call sanctification, growing closer to God for believers. It's also a, pre- a, a process for salvation, a salvation process that is changing us from the inside out to be like Jesus. It starts out with poor in spirit. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, realizing who you are, who you really are, that you are beggars poor, not to be confused with beggars canyon, beggars poor. We are in desperate need. 
We are in desperate need and we can't do it on our own. We come to our senses like the prodigal son and we realize this. That poor in spirit then led to what we talked about last week, mourning over our sin, being broken over our sin, that sin has caused a wedge between us and God the Father that does not allow us to have a relationship. It should break us. It should lead us to repentance, turning from our sin in order to grow in our relationship and our desire for God. This week is a hard one. It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. It says, blessed are the humble, or for some translations, blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. The reason why I say that's a hard one is because humility and meekness stand in direct opposition to what the world desires to promote and they promote pride they promote pride and honestly the world and its teaching would never say blessed are the humble they'll say blessed are those who are self-worshippers they'll say blessed are those who are arrogant blessed are the proud you know it's very interesting this week I got to go to a football camp with my three littles Indale, Lily, and Levi it was an extraordinary Lobos camp it was for kids with special needs and the reason why they put it on is because the head coach of the Lobo football team has a daughter with Down syndrome. And so we got to go and the kids had a blast and they got to run obstacle courses and they got to, they got to throw footballs into the big nets and, and do races and all kinds of things, even some two-on-two, or uh, sorry, two-hand touch football. In it on, they had this great time and all the football players were there and a bunch of soccer players were there and they were cheering on the kids and the kids just had a blast. But I had multiple people ask me, is this your church group? I'm like, nope, that's my family. Really? I'm like, yeah, it's just part of my family. The other half are all at home or overseas. And they're like, so, so these, are, these are your kids? Like, yes, they are. Why? Why did you do that? And I had to look them, and as a matter of fact, it's on the front page of the, of the Albuquerque Journal on, on, uh, on Tuesday, or Thursday morning, and made up into the Santa Fe New Mexican as well, just our story, because reporters were asking, why would you do that? And the answer I had to give them was, it's a God thing. God said so. And I'll tell you, uh, the, the funny thing is I had kind of a sit down with the coach, because it, it's, it's uh, two very different groups people who adopt children with special needs and people who give birth to children with special needs and there's a lot of preparation for one and others you, you can be surprised and he's like so tell me how did you get in Dale because he's the first one that came home right I said well very interesting story kind of keep this long story short for you some of you have heard it some of you haven't but more or less uh, Christy when we were very first dating had told me I want to have a child with special needs either by birth or by adoption well, fast forward years later, opportunity came up through a, a friend of, of Christie's who said, there's this little boy in Ethiopia that if he isn't adopted in six weeks, he'll go to an institution. And adopted meant to have paperwork in. It was a longer process than six weeks. But we said, well, okay. And Christie put his picture on my lap. I can tell you where I was sitting at at our house over here on Cascades Trail when we lived there. I can tell you where I was sitting. She said, I think we need to consider adopting this little boy. And I remember all the thoughts that went through my mind. The first thought was is, this changes our life forever. Because a child with special needs, there's a chance that they will not leave your house, so there will be no retirement, there will be no empty nest, there will be none of those things. This changes our life forever. Pridefully speaking, 
I want those things. God speaking, he says, don't you worry about those things. I'm not putting myself on any sort of pedestal because I still battle with pride on a constant basis. But because Indale came home, Lily and then Levi and then Glory also came home. All of their lives changed because of God changing me. All of their lives changed because God changed in Christy. And I look at this pride and I look at this desire to promote myself and myself above God because really that's kind of what pride is, isn't it? As we tackle pride, we, we look at those words meekness and humility and how they stand in a direct opposition. Pride is difficult. As a matter of fact, if we take a look at it, pride is one of the seven deadly sins. It was the first sin and it is the original sin. And yes, those are two different things. The first sin, if we look at it, Satan is described falling from heaven. It's recorded in Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. It says these words, shining morning star, how you have fallen from the heavens. You destroyer of nations, you've been cut down to the ground. You said to yourself, and I want you to hear these words how many times they're there. I will ascend to the heavens. I will set up my throne above the stars of God. Will sit on the mount of God's assembly in the remotest parts of the north. I will ascend above the highest clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you'll be brought down to the Sheol, into the deepest regions of the pit. First sin. And then you have the original sin. We have a tendency to look at Adam and Eve, and, and the original sin was them deciding to eat the fruit, right? But it wasn't. It was why they ate the fruit it was a desire to be like god do we still battle with that today you better believe it i want to be like the most high pride is self over god self over god self will over god's will self thoughts over god's thoughts self accomplishments over god's accomplishments self sufficient over god sufficient Here's a big one. Finding my identity in myself, my identity in who I feel I am instead of my identity in God and who he actually created me to be. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm gonna say something that, that may strike a chord, but God hates pride. He hates pride. James 4, 6 says he opposes the proud. Proverbs 16, 15 has some powerful words. Here's what they say. Everyone with a proud heart is detestable to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. That word detestable means repulsive or disgusting. God hates pride. And then if you flip it, pride hates God. Pride hates God. Psalm 10, 4 says, In all of the scheming, the wicked person arrogantly thinks there is no accountability since there is no God. In his pride, there is no God, so I can do whatever I want without repercussion. I mean, we've all heard it said to be full of self is to be empty of God. We have to be careful of that. We need to also understand that pride misses the wisdom of God because we choose not to listen. We choose that God isn't there. Psalm 25, 9 says, God will guide the meek and the humble. But Proverbs 26, 12 says, there is more hope for a fool than a prideful person. And fool's never a good word in the Bible. We all know this next one, Proverbs 16, 18 pride leads to a fall pride leads to a fall before destruction it says it's there on its way 
Isaiah chapter 2 tells us there's a day that's coming that the proud will be humbled and brought low. Scripture tells us over and over and over again, pride leads to disobedience rather than submission. Pride leads to hypocrisy rather than life of authenticity. Pride leads to puffed up arrogance rather than love. Pride leads to boasting. Pride leads to isolation because in Proverbs 13, 10, it says we fight others and God because of our pride and it drives a wedge between us. This is self-centered pride and this will kill us. That's why it says blessed are the meek. Now the great thing is there is a healthy pride as well but that pride is found in others-centered and it's also God-centered but really when you define it, it looks like meekness and humility and not pride at all. You know, C.S. Lewis says humility is not thinking less of yourself it's thinking of yourself less. We're not putting ourselves down. We're just thinking of ourselves less. And it's interesting when you talk about humility and meekness, the reaction that you get, especially on Father's Day. By the way, this is, this is the way it worked out. I did not plan for it to be this way. Meekness, humility, a lot of times we think they mean weakness. And you know what? Dads aren't weak. That's why we have Tim the Toolman Taylor. Did I just date myself? A little grunt, uh, 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 you know what I'm saying? Yeah, we have that type of mentality. I have never met a man that says, you know what, I'd really like to be more meek. Never heard that. I want them to talk about my meekness at my funeral. Never heard that. It's not something that we naturally go to. A lot of times we think meek means timid, shy, spineless, or even cowardly. Those are the things that we think about, but that is the wrong definition for meekness. The meekness definition is really twofold that we see that Jesus is talking about here. First, guided strength. Guided strength, and second, enduring injury with patience and without resentment. That is meekness. Now, I'm going to break each one down here. First, that guided strength. The word actually comes from a bit-bridled horse. It is power under control. You know, I've never looked at a big muscular horse before and thought that fellow's weak never once but when he has the bit in his mouth I know that he is under control he has handed the reins over to his master that's what it means to be meek he has yielded his will to the one who can direct his energies for a purpose greater than his own he has given himself over kind of sounds like that your will be done your kingdom come, God. That's a hard statement, though, because, again, who controls us? Self or the divine? Are we God-controlled or are we self-controlled? Who's in charge? Who has the reins of our life? Who has that power? As a matter of fact, it's a growth process because if you look at the start of salvation, we aren't who we are even today. We are being changed. And you want to see a biblical example of that? Look at Abraham. Abraham, when he first meets God, he kind of trusts God, but by the end, he fully trusts God. There are ups and downs throughout the way, and he learns from those things. It is a progression on that guided strength. And then that second one is, is this, that enduring injury with patience without resentment. What do I mean by that? Well, it's that power under control. I can fight back, but I choose to God, let God do the fighting for me. I can fight back, but I am letting God take over these battles. We see that definition in the life of Joseph. 
Joseph, you probably saw, uh, you've read about, you've seen his story throughout the end of Genesis, but basically his brothers sell him into slavery, tell his dad that he's dead. He gets put into slavery, he gets put into prison. He's sitting there going, God, why are you doing this? And it comes to the point in Genesis chapter 50 where there's a famine going on and his brothers come to him. And this is what it says in Genesis 50 verses 19 through 21. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your children. And he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. Did you hear that question there? Am I in the place of God? That's our desire too often, isn't it? To be in the place of God. And he says, am I in that place? No, God's got this. We see that in Romans chapter 12 when Paul is talking about this same thing. We see these two definitions play throughout so many different lives in the Bible. Look at the life of Job. Look at the life of David. Look at the life of Jeremiah. Look at the life of Esther, Stephen, Paul. Hey, how about we look at the life of Jesus? It, it plays itself out. As a matter of fact, if you look at the life of Moses... In Numbers chapter 12, it actually says Moses is the meekest man on the planet. We see it play itself out. We should see it play itself out in our lives as well. And the thing is, I think both definitions that we're looking at here tie together in the verse when it says, blessed are the meek or the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the ones who have given God the reins and let him be in control. They will inherit the earth. Now, we talked about the inherit the earth part of it uh, back in uh, Revelation just a couple of weeks ago. But that's what's playing out here. The truth is, is that we need to expand on that. We need to take a look just a little bit deeper into what that actually means. So what I need you to do is we're going to leave the book of Matthew today and we're going to go to Psalm 37. Psalm 37, so if you have your Bibles or your digital device, go to Psalm 37 for me. And when you get there, the first verse we're going to look at is verse 11. It is the end result. And then we're going to go back up and see how we get to the end result. These, I truly believe, are the words that Jesus had in mind when he was speaking at this Sermon on the Mount. Here's what it says if you look at verse 11 of Psalm 37. It says, but the humble will inherit the land or the humble will inherit the earth and will enjoy abundant prosperity that is the end result and it sounds a whole whole lot like Matthew chapter 5 verse 5 blessed are the humble or the meek for they will inherit the earth here's what we need to understand how do we get to that point to the inheriting of the land getting to be humble well the rest of 37 talks about that jump up two verses to verse 9 says these words for evil will, uh, doers will be destroyed but those who put their hope in the Lord will inherit the land other translations say those who wait on the Lord so we wait on the Lord we hope on the Lord they kind of tie together because there's a parallel there that they both inherit the earth so those who hope and wait on the Lord are those who are humble so then we have to ask that next question what does it mean to wait or hope on the Lord What does it mean for us to do so? Well, now we go up more verses because it leads to that. Verse 3 through 8 of Psalm 37 says these words. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell on the land and live securely. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. 
Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act, making your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like the noonday. Be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. Do not be agitated by the one who prospers in his way, by the person who carries out, by the person who carries out evil plans. Refrain from anger and give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. So in these verses, we see who the meek are. We see those who hope and wait on the Lord. We see the characteristics, and really, it's a progression. Strangely enough, it looks like the same process of salvation, doesn't it? It looks like the same process of sanctification that God is working in our lives, that God is talking about in the Beatitudes, but we see it laid out right here. Those who trust in the Lord take delight in Him, commit their ways to Him, and are quiet before Him. They're not agitated at those who prosper while carrying out their evil plans, and instead they refrain from anger and rage. This is a person who is meek. And I'm just going to admit it right here, right now. This is not easy. At least for me, maybe you've got it way figured out better than I do, but that does not describe me when I look at current culture. That doesn't describe me this whole meekness and humility thing. Not easy, but it is a process that God is working on me, and I'm sure that God is working on you in the middle of it all. What does that process look like? Let's take a deeper look into it. First, it's a trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, great verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding, but in all of your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. He will make your path straight. We have to trust in the Lord. Pride says trust in yourself. Pride says trust in your feelings. Pride says trust in your heart. Meekness says trust God. Meekness says your feelings are great indicators, but terrible navigators. Meekness says our heart is a factory making, or an idle factory making machine. It just makes idle after idle after idle. Trust God means the foundation of your life is built on the fact that God is for you and he is not against you. His plans are good and he will make your path straight. That is the first step, foundational step. After trusting God, we delight in God. We delight in the Lord. Take delight in the Lord. That means our hearts truly find peace and fulfillment in him. That is our desire. That is our goal. When we truly find satisfaction and worth in Christ, Scripture says He will give us the godly longings of our heart. When we find our satisfaction in Him. The idea behind the verse and others that are like it that talk about this idea of getting these godly longings is that when we truly rejoice in the eternal things of God, it changes our perspective. Our desires will become to parallel with what God desires. We're going to want what He wants. As a matter of fact, later in the Sermon on the Mount that we'll get to towards the very end, Matthew 6, 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things that you desire will then be given to you as well because your desires are going to change because you're seeking first God. That is what we see playing itself out as we delight in the Lord. Then it says, Commit your way to the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Again, told you I'm not a scholar internet's great study books are great the word commit means to roll in hebrew it means to roll to roll everything onto god commit your way to god the way that you have give it to god give everything you have to god give the good things to god give the bad things to god give your health to god your work to god your relationships to god your plans to god give your fears and your frustrations and your problems to god let them roll off of you. 
How many things do we carry and how many things do we bear the weight of that we have no control over either which way, but we will worry about it until we're sick? We have to let it roll off of us and commit it to God. Then the next thing says, man, be quiet before the Lord and wait on Him. Can I ask you, I don't need you to answer out loud, but how do you pray? Do you come to God and just tell, 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 tell exactly what you want and what you need and why you need it? Or do you sit quietly and you listen to what He has to say? I'll be honest. I'm very much a teller. God, you understand. We only have six months left on the lease here at this building, and the church has to figure out what we're going to do next and where we're going to go. Are we going to stay here? Are we going to go? I can't get the landlord to call me. God, make the landlord call me. That was my prayer yesterday. Okay, I'm just telling you what it was. I'm a teller. And God's like, did I get you the last time? Have I gotten you every time through all of this? Shut up. <laughs> Be quiet. Be patient. Listen doesn't mean we just sit back and be lazy but it does mean that we're not agitated by not being in control how many of us get agitated by not being in control guilty then it says don't get angry at your opponents or your setbacks and I'm going to take a few extra minutes on this concept because <laughs> this one's the hardest don't get angry at your opponents or your setbacks this idea of meekness is being gentle in response to personal offense but having righteous anger, injustices towards others, and dishonor towards God. If you want flipped thinking from the world, that's exactly it. I get mad when it happens against me, but I don't care if it happens to somebody else. This is flipped thinking. And I'm going to open that up by looking at Jesus. Because Jesus displays both of these things already. We already looked at Joseph earlier, but how did Jesus respond when people hurt him or insulted him? 1 Peter 2.23 actually gives us the answer. It says this, when he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten by, entr but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He gave it over to God. Again, we see that continue on the Sermon on the Mount. And we'll get to it later, and this is going to be a fun one. This is probably the week you're going to want to skip. But it says this in Matthew 5, 38 through 41. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer on the contrary if anyone slaps you on the right cheek punch him in the face that's what my dad said <laughs> but this one says turn the other cheek to him also for as the one as for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt let him have your coat as well and if anyone forces you to go one mile go with him too you want completely upside down rebellious flipped thinking that's it that's where we're sitting at, both then and now. I mean, that is legit rebellion against culture and fleshly desires because everything in my flesh says if somebody hits me, I will hit them back and I will hit them back harder so I don't have to have any more hits. I'm going to do what I can to do that. And, and that is my natural reaction, but time after time after time, those who displayed meekness in the Bible, they displayed that they gave the reins over to God, just like we were talking about with Joseph, and left the vindication to him. Meekness is the power to absorb adversity and criticism without lashing back. That is meekness. And it really is power under the control of God, giving him the reins. But I also want to point this out, 
We see that in Jesus, but we see something else in Jesus here, and that is the meek are righteously angry at injustices towards others and the things that dishonor God. There is a righteous anger. I think without righteous anger, sin continues. And when sin continues, people are abused. God is trash. Nothing ever changes. I truly believe that sin continues because people of God don't care. We care about ourselves, but we don't care about what's going on. We are not angry enough. We are apathetic. We are indifferent. We are unconcerned about the rapid, rampant sin that is in society. We don't care about the pains and hurts of others. We don't care about the extreme injustices that happen throughout the world. And because of it, sin and evil are having a heyday and they are spreading like crazy. We have to flip the thinking of this world and we have to instead be like the world. We have to be like Christ. Because I think when we look at Christ, when Christ was personally offended, he responded gently. But when he became being others getting mistreated or even injured, he responded in righteous anger. He was like a lamb when personally attacked. But he was like a lion when somebody else was doing dishonor to his God. What happened in the temple when they were selling things and cheating the people of God? You saw righteous anger. You saw tables getting flipped. You saw whips being made. When the Pharisees were leading God's people astray. He called them serpents in whitewashed tombs. Those are negative words for the Pharisees to hear. When they're being all pharisaical, he laid it out. And he wasn't okay with it. The thing is, is that I think William Barclay probably says it best in his commentary on this passage. He translates a verse this. He said it this way. Blessed are those who are always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. Blessed are those who are always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. And then he goes on to say this. Selfish anger is always sin. Selfless anger can be one of the great moral dynamics of this world. Here's, I think, one more thing we could take from Jesus on this subject. The meek and humble seek their interests of God above their own. You want to know where that's written at? Philippians chapter 2. You've probably heard it talked about before. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Would you listen as I read it along? If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way. Have the same love, united in spirit, intent in one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, in meekness. Consider others as important, as more important, excuse me, than yourselves. Everyone should not look to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited or something to be grasped. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to, even to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and in earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Look at these last words. To the glory of the Father. You want me to summarize that really fast? Be like Jesus to the glory of God. Be like Jesus to the glory of God. Dads, I'll point at you because it's Father's Day. Be like Jesus to the glory of God. Moms, you still have to hear this. 
Be like Jesus to the glory of God. Aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, cousins, friends, classmates, co-workers. Be like Jesus for the glory of God. Because in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. People are watching you. They're watching how we respond in this world. Do we respond to righteous anger or in righteous anger to the injustices of the world? Do we respond when somebody attacks us in a way that says, God's got this? Do I trust in the Lord? Have I committed my way to Him? Do I delight in Him? Will I be quiet and listen? These are the questions we have to ask ourselves. See, it's progression. When we come to our sense and we realize we are poor in spirit and we're broken, we then mourn our spiritual condition. And we realize that we're selfish human beings. And we have to stop putting self first. We humbly come before God and we give Him the reins of our life. This is the Beatitudes. Next week, we're going to talk about hungering and thirsting for righteousness because it is the next step. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are. And thank you for what you continue to do and how you continue to guide us and direct us as only a good father will. I ask for myself personally, Lord, to have the strength by the Holy Spirit to do what you've called us to do, to live in such a manner that shows the world that I am different. And I'm not different because I want to be different. I'm different because you're making me different. I'm not trying harder. This isn't some legalism thing that we need to try and do. It's because the Holy Spirit is in us and we are being changed. If there's somebody in this room that does not have your son in their life as their Savior, as their Lord, the one we hand the reins over to, God, may today be that day because I believe that's what this is. This meekness and this humbleness is us handing over the reins, us handing over the selfishness of our lives and giving it to you. Sometimes that's a first step, which is salvation. And sometimes it's a necessary continuing step, which is sanctification. God, men, women, and children in this room watching online need to be willing to do that. But we can't do it on our own. We need your power. God, may you have all the glory. May you have all the praise that as you change our lives, we realize it's not about us, but it's all about you. We pray in your name. Amen. We're going to jump down here right in the front. I would love to pray with you. I would love to talk to you about who Jesus is and what he has done in my life and what he's continuing to do in my life. I want you to meet him if you have not yet. I want you to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's what I want. And if you already have that man, and you're walking the other way and you're stuck in pride, repent. You can do that at your seat or you can do that with me up in here in the front. Repent. Repent.